So before we get started, I want to pray. Oh, Lord God, Father, again, I come to you in the holy, awesome name of Jesus. God, I thank you that we just got to sing about Jesus. Lord, I thank you that everything we sang was pointed to Jesus. And Lord, uh, thank you for reminding, thank you for reminding us that really it is all about the things that Jesus is doing in our lives and in this world. God, I just ask you right now to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the privilege of talking about your greatness to the people who are here this morning. God, don't let anything in me to get in, don't allow anything in me to get in your way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, let's put a picture up there. And I want to ask you, I know there's a, there it is. How many of you, I mean, does anybody here think you know who that is in that picture? Anybody want to hazard a guess? Who? It is me. You got that right. So guess who that gorgeous lady is? That's Patsy. That's Patsy. That picture was taken on July the 22nd, 1967. 50 years ago yesterday. How about that? Kind of a milestone, huh? 50 years ago. You know, I I met Patsy my senior year in high school. And I was immediately attracted to her. She was drop-dead gorgeous. And and she had these eyes, oh, these intense, almost electric, but not, I mean, mean, eyes like a magnet that just reached out and grabbed hold of me and wouldn't let me go. And and, and then... uh, and, and in fact, I was attracted to her before she even knew I was around. And then uh, we, we had fun together. When, when we started dating, we had so much fun together. Uh, what, attract, what she says was attracted, what attracted her to me, she thought I was handsome. Can you believe that? She thought I was handsome. You know, you can't, you can't beat that. And, and then she also said that we had fun together. Uh, that the things that I did were fun. We did a lot of things that she had never done before, and she thought that was fun. But you know what I think? I think uh, what attracted to attracted me to her more than anything was my family. She absolutely loved my parents. In fact, I think that's the reason she asked me to marry her in the first place. It's because she loved my parents so much. We are in the middle of a series of a series of messages about tipping points. Now that's those seasons in life when you come to a crossroads. Maybe it's a crisis when when we make choices and then the consequences of those choices are lived out in the weeks and the months and possibly even the years ahead. Well, now, as you can imagine, there have been a lot of tipping points, marriage tipping points, in 50 years of marriage. And I promise you that the reason Patsy and I are still married after 50 years has very little to do with what attracted us to each other in the first place. In fact, I asked Patsy the other day, I said, Patsy, how did we stay married for 50 years? And without even blinking, she said, because giving up, getting a divorce was never an option. And, you know, I agreed with her. Now, I also know that there are circumstances such as 
persistent infidelity or abuse, where the, the, the situation is so, so toxic, staying together is not even an option. And then you also have desertion, where one mate runs off and leaves another mate, and, and there's no staying together there, obviously. But that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about how Patsy and I were able to stay married to each other for 50 years through tipping points. And we've actually grown together through those tipping points. And the reason we've stayed together is because giving up was never an option. You know, I became a Christ follower almost 50 years ago also. It was six months after Patsy and I were married. I became a Christian. And the reason that I am still a Christ follower is a whole lot like the same reason we're still married. I mean, there, there were times, a number of times, especially during a few tipping points, when I, I considered looking for some sort of meaning, meaning in life, some sort of meaningful life, other than what I could find in Jesus. And I really considered that, but I didn't. I stayed, stayed connected to Jesus. The Bible tells us in John chapter 6 that, that Peter and the apostles, they sort of went through a similar tipping point. Jesus had just fed more than 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a handful of fish. And it, when he did, all of these people thought, wow, this is going to be like what it was with Moses, where, where there was food for everybody, free food for everyone. And Jesus very quickly began to tell them, no, guys, I am not that kind of Messiah. I am not here to put free food on everybody's table. Well, you know what? A lot of those 5,000 people, they just start walking away. They start leaving. And so Jesus turned, Jesus turned to the 12, and look what he said to them in John chapter 6, verse 67. It says, Then Jesus turned to the 12 and he asked, Are you also going to leave? Now, put yourselves in the shoes of the 12. They were hoping that this Messiah, the Messiah, was going to lead them into a new season of prosperity. And now Jesus says, I am not that kind of Messiah. Well, they had to have been disappointed. I mean, this really was a tipping point for them. So what do you think Pete, the disciples are going to say when Jesus then turns to them and says, now are you all going to leave me too? Look what Peter said. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. That's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. In fact, I think that's a verse for every tipping point. Jesus had stirred up in Peter a hunger that could only be satisfied by Jesus. And so when Jesus said, so are y'all going to leave me too? Peter thought, Nobody can fill this hunger but him. And so Peter said, Lord, where in the world are we going to go? You're the only one who, when you talk, it stirs up in me a desire for eternal, real life. And you know what? The reason I am still a Christ follower is similar to the reason that Peter 
continued to follow Jesus. If a fulfilling and eternal life is only possible by following Jesus, then it only makes sense to choose God during the tipping points. Now, I just want to confess, in my 50 years as a Christian, I have made some really bad decisions at some of the tipping points. But I don't want to talk about those. Because there were three tipping points in which I actually got it right. And those are the ones I want to talk about. Tipping point number one occurred when I thought that God had totally abandoned me. I was pastoring a little bitty church in Roswell, New Mexico. And by the way, the tipping point has nothing to do with aliens from outer space. Okay? Okay? Just strike that away, okay? What it does have to do with was the way we were living. We, we had no money. Uh, we, we were even, we were living in a borrowed house, y'all. Uh, our car, our one car, was pretty much held together with epoxy. Our, uh, uh, Kevin, our son, and Patsy had some health issues just pretty much continually. We never could seem to get a handle on. And on top of all of this, the church wasn't growing. Uh, now, there were new people coming all the time, but I ran off more as many people as there were the new people who were coming. And so, so that, that, was, that was what our life looked like. But, you know, even all of that was really not the focus of the tipping point for me. The focus of the tipping point for me had to do with unanswered prayer. There were some very important things that I was praying for that God just seemed to be ignoring. Now, I had seen God do incredible miracles in answer to prayer. I mean, God had, had healed me pretty much overnight for what preliminary diagnosis was cancer. And he did that in a direct answer to prayer. God gave, gave us a miracle baby in answer to prayer. But there were other prayers, some really important prayers, that God seemed to be just ignoring. And I couldn't understand why he was ignoring them. And then the more, after, the more I thought about it, my, finally my faith just crashed. And I didn't know what I believed anymore. Well, I resigned my position there at that little church in Roswell and picked up my f- little family and we moved to Austin which is where I grew up, and I went to work for the telephone company. But now what? <laughs> what am I going to do with God? I mean, true, my life, my, my relationship with God was very disappointing. Okay, so does that mean that I need to try to find real meaning to my life in something other than God? Or... Do I keep pursuing my relationship with God? You see, at tipping point number one, I had a choice to make. Do I let my disappointment, specifically in this case, disappointment with God, do I let my disappointment lead to faithlessness or do I keep pursuing God? Now, in my heart... 
I knew that if God really was God, and if Jesus really was the Son of God, Lord of all creation, then I was not going to find fulfillment, meaningful, and eternal life anywhere else. So for pretty much the same reason that Peter and the Twelve chose Jesus 2,000 years ago, I chose God. Now you say, okay, wait, 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 Terry, what does that mean you chose God? That means that instead of spending more effort trying to find real life, chasing after other things, I spent more effort chasing after God. I spent more time in my Bible rather than less. I spent more time praying. I spent. I was more intentional about doing the things that I knew that God, if there really was a God, would want me to do. And you know what I discovered? I discovered that the more I chased after God, the more convinced I became that God really is God. And that Jesus Christ is Lord of all creation. And so... When that certainty began to dawn on me, the rational part of my brain, you know, that left side of my brain, it told the right side of my brain, okay, now this is settled, so let's move on. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see, you see, we can know with certainty That God really is God. And for me, that certainty began to grow when rather than allowing my disappointment to become faithlessness, I chose God. Now, I look back. That's been more than 40 years ago. I look back. And I am so grateful, not only that I chose God, but I'm grateful for the certainty that God gave me, that God began to give me by choosing him. Because you see, since that time, doubts don't just suddenly go away. They keep coming back over and over, but I've settled it. And so now when the doubts come back, the left side of my brain reminds the rest of me, Terry, this is already settled. You remember? And so I'm able... To move on. So I'm so glad for that certainty. Still am. But you know as I look back. There was still something missing. In John chapter 17 verse 3. Jesus in this incredible prayer to the Father. Jesus said. This is eternal life. That they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know God. Now I knew that God is God. But I didn't know God. And there's a difference. It's a big difference. On July the 23rd, 50 years ago, I knew that Patsy was my wife. But I didn't really know Patsy. I didn't know what she feels 
or how she thinks. I didn't know what her dreams were. I didn't know what made her mad or what made her glad. In fact, you could pretty much say, I didn't really know her heart. Well, now today, after 50 years of tipping points together, I know Patsy. Now, please, I don't understand her. Okay, so don't confuse knowing her with understanding her. Okay, and I may never understand her, but I'm trying, I keep trying, but I can honestly say, I know her. I know her heart. Now, folks, if that's true in a marriage relationship, how much more is it true in our relationship with God? I mean, think about that. We're talking about God. If it's taken me 50 years to know Patsy, I want to know God. But that's what he said. God says, I want you to know me. God wants us to know him. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Look at this. I want you to catch something that's really important. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. Now, catch this, folks. Wherever you are in your Christian life right now, if you're a Christ follower, if you're not a Christ follower, then listen very carefully because we're just getting started. The best of all of the good things that God wants to put into our lives come as a result of knowing Him. You catch that? That's what this says. The best of all of the good things that God wants to put into our lives come as a result of knowing Him. Now, how, do, how, do, how does that happen? I mean, how do you go from knowing with certainty that God really is God to actually knowing God. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul had been a Christ follower for 17 years. And he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, and look what he says. He says, I want to know Christ. Okay, 17 years into his relationship with Jesus, he still doesn't know Jesus. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now, this next part of this verse, I do not like at all. And the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Okay, that, I've never liked that part of that verse. I mean, who on earth? Wants to suffer. Well, it says we get to do it with Jesus. So what? That still doesn't sound like any fun to me. But that's there. And I don't claim to understand all that's in that verse. But one thing Paul does connect. Paul connects actually knowing Jesus. With living through a season of suffering while you're holding on to Jesus. 
That's where the connection is. Now, look at what Paul then says 17 years later to a young preacher named Timothy. So 17 years later, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, I know whom I have believed. You catch that? It's not I know what I believe. He says, I know whom I have believed. 17 years before, Paul said, I want to know Jesus. And now 17 years, after 17 years, he says, I know Jesus. And look, he says, because I know him, I know whom I have believed. He goes on and he says, and because I know him, I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him. Now, what happened during those 17 years that enabled Paul to go from knowing for certain that Jesus is Lord to actually knowing Jesus? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, I want you to look at this list. Chapter 11, verse 23. It says, I was put in prison, whipped, faced death again and again, beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, gone without food, shivered in the cold, without enough clothing to keep me warm. Folks, warm. That, that's a lot of suffering. And in that passage, Paul said, I did all of those things while I was holding on to my relationship with Jesus. And then he writes to Timothy, he says, now I know Jesus. Now, Paul is not connecting suffering with knowing God. What he's connecting is holding on to a relationship with God through seasons of suffering. Then he says, that's when we start to know God. Tipping point number two for me was a season of suffering. And tipping point number two occurred about 20 years ago when Satan torpedoed my family. And Patsy and I descended into a level of grief that I didn't even know was possible. Folks, I was so low, I couldn't even pray. And that's pretty low. In the last last year or so, we've had a a guy speak here. First of all, at a spurt breakfast, and then he may have even spoken here on Sunday morning. It was a Navy SEAL, ex-Navy SEAL. And he made a statement that was so profound... That I wrote it in a lot of different places in my Bible. He said, everyone needs a high place for hard times. Now, folks, that's a cool state. That's worth writing in your Bible. And then he went on to say that for him, his high place for hard times was his family. Well, 30 years ago, if anyone had asked me 
Terry, where is your high place for hard times? I would have said, my family. But then, what do you do when Satan torpedoes your family? You see, at tipping point number two, I had a choice. My choice was to live in fear and grief and hopelessness because my family was no longer my my high place for hard times. Or... I could choose God. Now, I wanted to choose God. I really did. But how do you choose God if you can't even pray? I mean, I couldn't even verbalize, God, I choose you. I couldn't pray. But it was at this time in my life that I began to pray the Psalms back to God. Now, you say, that's cheating. That's not really you praying. That's that's cheating. I don't care what you call it. I could pray the Psalms back to God as if they were coming from me. And I would begin every day, every morning in my time with God, praying the Psalms back to God. All of the Psalms. I mean, not all in one morning. There's 150 Psalms. But praying the Psalms back to God. And over, over the next few weeks and months, I began to... Encounter God in the Psalms at a level that I had never encountered God before. And it was through those encounters with God that I began to actually know God. You see, folks, by choosing God in the midst of fear and grief and hopelessness, we really can know God. And I look back, I can look back now into, into to the Terry 40 years ago when I was absolutely certain that God is God. And I look at the Terry now who, who knows God. And on the one hand, I would never want to experience that level of suffering again. I wouldn't want to go back to that Terry either. Because knowing God is on a whole nother level than anything I had experienced back then. Tipping point number three occurred about ten years later when I was asked to step down from being the lead and the teaching pastor of a middle-sized church. The elder board of the church changed. And with the change in the elder board, there came a new vision for the church. And with a different vision for the church, uh, I was not a part of that new vision. And so I was asked to step down. Now, I was hurt. I felt like I had been betrayed. I felt inadequate. My confidence level just hit an all-time low. And then I became really angry. And I thought about making a counter move. You know, marshal my people. We might even start a new church. But that was that all of that that idea was was motivated completely by self-interest. It was totally self-centered. 
And then what would I do? I mean, do something that was totally self-centered and then ask God to bless it? In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it's another one of my less favorite verses. Jesus said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now, if I, I did not want to apply that verse to this situation. Because that verse very clearly says that if I'm going to really be serious about following Jesus, then my life is supposed to be about God and not about me. Now, the question was, was I willing for my life to be about God rather than about me. And so I prayed. In fact, that was my chipping that was my tipping point. That was a choice I had to make. Okay? Was I going to hold on to this self-centered anger and bitterness? Or was I going to choose God? And so I prayed. I prayed, God, give me the grace. Give me a willing spirit to make my life about you. And every day, sometimes multiple times a day, I prayed that same prayer. God, give me the grace to make my life today about you. God, give me the grace to make my life right now about you. And you know what I discovered? I discovered we can experience life that is about God. We really can. Self is really stubborn, but it can be made to take a backseat to God. If we just ask Him, tell Him what we want to do and ask Him, God, I really want to make my life about you. Now, I said a while ago, I've made some really bad decisions during tipping points. But these three times, I got it right. And here's what I learned by choosing God during these three tipping points. I learned that we can know with certainty that God is God. I learned that we can even know God. And then I learned we can experience life that is actually about God. But what if I hadn't chosen God during those three tipping points? What if, like a couple that gives up on their marriage, I had given up on God? What if I had chosen to let my disappointment become faithlessness? What if I had just resolved to live in fear and grief? Or or what if I had chosen to hold on to this self-centered anger and bitterness 
instead of choosing God. If I had, then those would have all become chains that held me captive and kept me from the life that God who loves me wanted me to have. But those chains didn't happen. And that was because the more I asked God to give me the grace and give me a willing spirit to choose Him, then the less those chains were able to get a hold on me. And the more I became available for God to do whatever good He wanted to do in me and with me and through me. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies, if you're trying to feel the same old holes inside, there's a better life. Free!
If you've got chains, it's because at some tipping point, you made the wrong choice. Now, if that's the case, you want to get it right? Just choose God. Just choose God. Choose Him right now. Choose God tomorrow and the next day. And with every tipping point, choose God. Because if you choose God with every tipping point, then those chains will not find anything in you to hold on to. And that makes you available. If you choose God, that makes you available for the God who loves you to put into your life all of the good things that he wants to give you and to do in and through you all of the good things he wants to do. Will you bow your heads, please? This is a time, wherever you are, that you can choose God. Now, if you've never entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, this can be the beginning of that relationship. You can choose God right now. It's not hard. It just means just to say a prayer under your breath. Mean it in your heart. And say something like, Lord Jesus, forgive my sin and come into my life and be my boss. Be my Lord. That's it. Just real simple. Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord. And you know what? He promised if you asked him, he would do that. He said in his word, he said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. He wouldn't lie to you about that. Just choose God. Ask Jesus Christ right now to come into your life and be your Lord. Now, if you, if you just prayed that prayer, then I'm going to ask you, open your eyes and take that connect card that you have. Put your name, your contact information, phone number, and email address on there. And then check the spot, a little box down there that said you committed your life to Christ this week. Or if you're still looking for that and you want to know more about how to become a Christ follower, check that box. And that's fine. 
We want to be available to help you in your spiritual journey, whatever those next steps are. So fill out that Connect card. And before you leave here today, if you will, just give it to one of our ushers, or even better than that, take it, somebody at the blue tent out front and hand it to them. And just let them know that today you became a Christ follower. Now, if you just pray that prayer and ask Jesus Christ for the first time to be your Lord, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. This is a time for you to mark and say, right now, this day, I begin my relationship with Jesus Christ. On July the 23rd, 2017, I begin my relationship with God. And it also kind of saying, hey, God, I'm serious about this. Put your hands up. Now, we have a tradition here at Lake Hills Church. And our tradition is when you put your hand down, we put ours together.